You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. All right, if you could stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Because we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, it's authoritative. Uh, We believe that it is 100% true. That's why we ask that you stand at the reading of it uh, and you sit when I preach, because I have nothing better to say than what's in this book. And so uh, my encouragement to you is that anything you hear me say, you just take home and measure it against the Word of God. But, uh, but yeah, we believe that this is the Word of God. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 38. This is the Word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You may be seated. So, this is a, I think this is a difficult passage, I'm not going to lie. And, and the reason why it's difficult is clearly because of what it says. I recognize we live in Wyoming, right? So we're good with verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We're like, yes, totally agree with that, 100%. Go Jesus. And then Jesus continues with verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist the evil one uh, or the one who is evil. And we're like, no, don't go there, right? So this is one of those sections in the Sermon on the Mount that could be difficult to hear. And here's what I want to just say right from the beginning. I said this before. Jesus chose his words very carefully. Do not lighten what he has said or misunderstand what he has said. The danger that we face is that we can um, hyper-literalize it or we can uh, make it, we can just lighten it to where it has no, no bearing on our lives. And um, we don't want to do that. And so the, the best way to approach this passage is, is to recognize uh, a, a, a few things. One, Jesus will never or has ever said anything to contradict the Word of God in the Old Testament. So I just want to just reiterate that. I know most, most of you, if not all of you, already know that. But that, that's true. And to understand what Jesus is saying here, we have to have, we have, to have some understanding of what he's referring to. So, so that's what we're going to do. But uh, I, I recognize, you know, this, this whole idea of uh, turning your cheek if somebody slaps your, your cheek. Like, the, our, our instinct is, no, if somebody slaps me in the cheek, I'm going to punch them, right? It's just, just that's what you want to do, or, or I'm going to say something, you know, mean or whatever. Um, I am preaching on this passage as one who, you know, like, it, like it, this rubs against some of my grain uh, of just what would be my natural response. I, on September, after September 11th, 2001, there was a song that was released, I think it was in 2002, by Toby Keith. Uh, you guys familiar with him? Just, yeah, okay. How many are not familiar with him? 
just curious. Okay, just, all right. That's understandable. Uh, so there, there's, this, there's this song that he wrote, and he sung it shortly after 9-11, and it kind of became like an anthem uh, in, in our country for this, the war in, uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I'll just read three lines uh, or three verses from it, but he, maybe you heard it or heard of it. The title of the song is Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue. Uh, and so here are some of the words. Now this nation that I love has fallen under attack. A mighty, a mighty sucker punch came flying in from somewhere in the back. Soon as they could clearly see, or as soon as we could clearly see through our big black eye, man, we lit up your world like the 4th of July. Hey, Uncle Sam, put your name on the top of his list. And the Statue of Liberty started shaking her fist. And the eagle will fly, man. I'm gonna, it's going to be hell when you hear Mother Freedom start ringing her bell. And it feels like the whole wide world is raining down on you, brought to you courtesy of the red, white, and blue. Justice will be served, and the battle will rage. This big dog will fight when you rattle his cage, and you'll, and you'll be sorry that you messed with the U.S. of A. Um, and then it goes on. I, I, I'm not allowed to read the rest of the line. but uh, So it's... Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of like the song. Actually, I, I'm involved with, I, I'm in martial arts. Yesterday, I, I spent a whole day with my boys in a, a martial arts training camp. And so, you know, how, how does, like, what Jesus say here speak into that in my life? I, this song, the, the lyrics I just read to you, I have a, American Kempo is a, is a martial arts style that I study, and I have a, Kempo playlist that I listen to when I'm training in the dojo, and guess what song's on there? This one, the one I just read to you. So, uh, how does like how does what Jesus say here speak into into that? Well, uh, I'm going to do my best to unpack this for you. Um, some people have read these verses and have understood them to say or to Jesus to say that there should be no, like the Christian should have no part in any form of violence. That means the Christian should, uh, the Christian should not be involved in any war or, 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 and, and, or the Christian should be a pacifist. Uh, some, you know, there's a whole movement called, called the Anabaptists that came uh, on the heels of the, Re of the Reformation. You know, we're in October. If you're familiar with the Reformation, a lot of great things came out of the Reformation. Uh, the Anabaptists came out of the Reformation, and I don't think that was a bad thing. They, they, they came out of the Reformation, and, and many of them took these words very literally and believed that they, can't even, they shouldn't even be involved in war. If their nation was in war, they, would be, they, they shouldn't fight in that war. And then there are other Anabaptists. There's an Anabaptist that you, you are familiar with, no doubt, and his name was Martin Luther King Jr. He was a pacifist. He took the Sermon on the Mount very literally, and so he, he didn't believe that the Christians should be involved in any violence. Uh, God used him profoundly in our nation, right, uh, with nonviolent peace uh, protests. And, and just, you know, how I think Martin Luther King Jr., with all of his... Uh, shortcomings and sins there were definitely some glaring sins in his life i look at him as kind of as one of the heroes of the of the faith in our you know in our nation and then another hero of my faith is my father-in-law who's home with jesus now he he was a pacifist uh he 
But when I think of his life, he embodied, in my opinion, he embodied the Sermon on the Mount as a Christian. He I think he lived it out. Uh, I looked up to that man. I still look up to him. He went into places in Burma that were very, very difficult, like places like the Golden Triangle. He preached the gospel to people that, could, that was dangerous to preach the gospel to. He was, he was uh, locked up. He was, you know, he was threatened to be in prison. He, was, he, he suffered loss as a result of being a man of the gospel. He translated hymns into, their nat- into his native tongue, Kachin. Uh, you know, there were four assassination attempts on his life that I'm aware of for his role in negotiating a ceasefire between the Burmese government and the Kachin tribe. He embodied the Sermon on the Mount. I was looking for a picture. There's a picture of him with former President Jimmy Carter where they had a meeting together. Um, he is a, my father-in-law was a godly man and, um, and really you know, wanted to live his life out in a way that emulated the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I'm not a pacifist, and, and so we've had conversations about some of that. And, and th- although we didn't agree on everything regarding, regarding pacifism, the one thing that we certainly agreed on was that when you read the Sermon on, on the Mount, Jesus calls his followers to a radical way of life. He calls us to a radical way of life. And, uh, and, and so for us to, to, to understand kind of what he's getting at here, we've got to understand something of what he's addressing. And so, you know, so the first point in my sermon is, what did, what did Moses say? Because again, here we, here we have one of those, you have heard it said, but I say to you, you know, in verse 38, you have heard it said, or it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, just so you understand the context here, Jesus is quoting a, uh, a, a, a verse from the Old Testament from the, five, the first five books of the Old Testament, which Moses wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it, it comes from three different passages. One, the one passage is Exodus chapter 21, verses 23 through 25. The other passage is Leviticus, which we'll read in a second, verse, uh, chapter 24. And the other, cha- the other passage is Deuteronomy chapter 19. And, and this is what it states, and this is the, uh, from Leviticus. It says, if anyone injures his neighbor as he has done it, shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. And so uh, this is also known, if you're, if, if you're interested, <laughs> it's also known as the law of retaliation. It is also known, it's Latin, Latin uh, phrase is lex talionis. It is, it is a good law. In Exodus chapter 20, you have the Ten Commandments. Those are called the moral law, between how we relate to God and also our neighbor. But, and then what follows, Exodus 21 and following, is civil laws that, were, that the Hebrew people were bound to that, they were, to, that they needed to obey. Why? To keep the peace, to, to, to make sure that justice what, you know, that there was justice and that, the, and that there was also mercy and that those who were in need were cared for and vice versa. And so that's what that law was in place for. That, that law was in place, and we have that law today in our country. Uh, we just call it something different. Uh, but that law is, was in place to keep people from doing the same thing that Lamech did, who was a descendant of Cain. Uh, and so 
This is what, Ke- this is what Lamech said. And by the way, just so you know, if you're wondering where did, you know, where do we see the first instance of polygamy, it was with Lamech, and he was not a good dude. Um, this is what he said. Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. The law of retaliation was meant to keep the Hebrew people from doing this, from being like like Cain. And that is isn't that in our like, isn't that like in our blood? It's like you know somebody cuts you off on the road. What do you want to do? Right? I'm going to get them back, and it's going to be worse. <laughs> uh, if somebody, you know, if somebody mistreats you, what do you do? Got to get them back, right? And, uh, and so this, is, this was a law to prohibit people from doing that. And no surprise, the, the Pharisees and the scribes abused it. They turned a civil law into, a, into an excuse for personal vendetta on their part. And, and so Jesus you know, kind of sees that, and he calls it out for what it is. And so they perverted the civil law, and then Jesus in verse 39 says, but how ought you to live? How do you treat your neighbor or the one who has wronged you? How do you treat that person? What should be your posturing? Um, you know, in every case, Jesus exposes the elaborate religious system for being inadequate to address mankind's real problem. What is our real problem? Our heart, sin, right? You know, so I was thinking about this. In light of, in light of the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus called, you know, and, and Jesus addressing, you know, some of the religious leaders of his day, here's, here's what, I, what we learn of religion or what we learn of religious people who don't really have a relationship with God. Religious people think it, it's, it's enough not to kill. But God says, what? Don't even get angry. Religious people say that it's enough not to commit adultery. But what does God say? Do not lust in your heart. Religious people think it is enough to just, you know, n- not to divorce their spouse, and if they do divorce their spouse, to make sure it's justified, and they had a loose understanding of what justified, a justified divorce looked like. But God says divorce is only permissible if there has been a death to the covenant of marriage. You know, religious people say um, it's enough to sound holy, but God says give yourself to holiness. Religious people pride themselves on what they can do, but Jesus says that a relationship with God can only come out of, out of a place of desperation, a place of emptiness. Like, I had nothing to give, you know? That's the, that's the first three Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, he, he, he says things like, you know, rub against the grain of religious people, right? He says things like, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. He says things like, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. And he says things like this, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, who were the most religious people of his day, 
you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, as we study it, Jesus calls us to a better way. He calls us to a radical way. Like this is the center. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. It doesn't mean that we've nailed it and that we're doing this all perfectly, but it says, but it does, uh, the, the point is we're gravitating towards this, that the gospel is drawing us to what, what the Sermon on the Mount is and, and, and what, it, what it looks like for our own lives. Which leads me to the second point, and this is the longest point of the sermon, and that is what does Jesus call us to? You know, so that's what Moses said, but what does Jesus call us to in light of what Moses said? Well, he says, I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And so the first statement, just so you see, the, see this, I forgot to point this out in the first service, um, do not resist the one who is evil. And then what Jesus does is he gives us four examples of what that looks like. What not resisting the one who is evil looks like. So I'm inclined to think that this statement is a statement based on, uh, uh, reflective on how do you deal with the person who is treating you in a way that's unfair or unkind. And maybe they're treating you that way because it's based on your faith. Maybe they just hate the fact that you worship Jesus or follow Jesus. But it has, it has I mean, it's, it's, you know, its branches kind of branch out into every area of our life. It doesn't just doesn't mean you know, when we're mistreated for our faith, it, it means all kinds of things for, for how we relate to our spouses or how we relate to, relate to our children or at work or, or when somebody cuts us off in the middle of the road or whatever it is. And so what does that look like? Well, uh, I think we need to understand what he's, what he's saying here. So the first statement, the first, the first example of what it looks like when somebody's evil, you know, an evil person is mistreating you, he says, if they strike you on the right cheek. Now, here's a question for you. What, what, handed, what hand do the majority of, of males use? Your right hand. Okay? And if I'm going to strike somebody on the right side of their cheek, what do I have to do to do that? Do I do this? <laughs> no. Backhanded. Uh, in the... the According to the rabbis, there's a statement that if somebody slaps you with an open hand, that's an offense. But if somebody slaps you with the back of their hand, that's doubly offensive. You know what Jesus is talking about here? If somebody wounds your pride, if somebody humiliates you, if somebody treats you as though you're, you're nothing, turn to them the other cheek also. I... I don't know if you've ever been backhanded, but I, but I have. And uh, I remember I was I was like 14 years old, pretty rebellious. My friends all smoked cigarettes, so I did too. And so I came home, and my dad did not smoke cigarettes. So if you're not a smoker, and you and somebody who is a smoker walks into your presence, what do you smell? Smoke. <laughs> And usually the smoker doesn't know, to, doesn't know what the big deal is, right? And so I walked in, and uh, I reeked of cigarette smoke, and my dad asked me, have you been smoking? And what do dumb 14-year-old boys say normally? No. <laughs> and so um, my dad 
put me against the wall, and backslap me. That was humiliating. In fact, I think the fact that I got backslapped stung more than the actual backslap. And Jesus is saying here, if somebody backslaps you, turn to them the other cheek also. I think directly what Jesus is addressing here is if somebody humiliates you for your faith, you don't have to protect your pride. You don't have to prove that you're right. Turn to them the other cheek also. And Jesus certainly did that, didn't he? Did he not when he was betrayed and he was being sentenced, you know, or they're trying to get, you know, find out, trunk up charges to, or trump up char- charges to, to have him crucified? What did they do? They humiliated him. They slapped him. You read the, if you read the, the Gospels, they slapped him. I guarantee you there were a lot of back slaps with those slaps and uh, as a way of trying to humiliate him. They also, I know that because they also spit on him. Why would they do that? To humiliate him. And so Jesus said, when anybody does that, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, how does that play out in our homes, though? How does that play out you know, in, a, in a place where we, where we work or, or our neighborhoods? What does that look like? Well, Kent Hughes, who's a pa- who is a pastor, I think he's retired now, he said something that I, I, could not, I can't improve upon, and it, just, it was convicting for me, so I want to read it for you. The words will be on the screen, but this is what he said in light of, the, uh, of verse 39. He said, we are to set aside our petty ways of getting even. Think about that. The kind of living that punishes others for returning their own sins to them. If your spouse is messy, you leave things messy in return. If your friend is late, you will be late next time yourself. In effect, Jesus asks us, in turning the other cheek, to make the other person and and his or her well-being the center of our focus. We think of them and adjust our actions according to what we think will point them to Christ. Now there's there's the rub, right? How can my response be, be done in such a way, how can I respond in such a way that it points that person to Christ and, uh, and they see more of him and they see less of me? Like, how can I do that? That's the question. You see, like, the Sermon on the Mount, how it calls us to, calls us to a radical way of li- living? Because that's not what the world wa- would say, and certainly not America, according to, you know, Toby Keith's uh, song, you know, you, you bring it down two of our buildings, we're leveling your whole nation. Jesus says, no, that's, that's not the, the way uh, 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 of my kingdom. Now, <laughs> be assured, though, like Jesus promises that he's coming back. And when he comes back, he will balance the scales of justice. Read Revelation 19 sometime. Um, it's pretty gruesome when he comes back. What Jesus is calling us to is, you know, what's most important is not our pride. What's most important is not our rights. What's most important is not our dignity. What's most important is, what do they think of Jesus? What do they think of Jesus? And then he goes on. He doesn't stop there. Second example, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, well, that was your shirt. So if anyone sues the shirt off your back, literally is what Jesus is saying here, if they sue the shirt off your back, 
Give to them your cloak also. What's so significant about that? Is he talking about a scarf? Is he talking about a jacket? What is he talking about here? He's talking about that important piece of clothing that first century Palestine people wore to protect them from the elements. It was their blanket. It, it, it kept them warm. He said, if somebody sues the shirt off your back, give them you know, the, your, your cloak as well. Like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> is Jesus calling us to be doormats for Jesus? Like, is a Christian supposed to be all, you know, walked all over? Well, I already showed you in the, at the beginning of this sermon series when we looked at blessed are the meek for they will inherit the, the earth. He's not talking about weakness there. He's talking about, hey, in light of all that you received from God by grace, through faith, that should affect the way you live your life and how you treat others. You arrived at the cross of Jesus Christ with nothing. You, you had no righteousness to give. In fact, the only thing that you deserved when you, arose, when, you, when you arrived at the cross of Jesus Christ was the wrath of God. That's what you deserved. You deserved to be on the cross. That's what every Christian deserved. But what did we receive? Mercy. What did we receive? Grace. What did we receive? That which we did not deserve. You know, I, I hear you know, people say, oh, you know, for God to send anybody to hell, that's, that's just unfair. No, what's fair is for God to send everybody to hell. What's unfair is that we're here. What's unfair is that you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We are the recipients of a gracious and good and loving God. And, uh, and so what do you do when somebody sues you and takes you to court? Well, I, you know, in the context... I think the context is, <laughs> I mean, think of, uh, think of verse 6 of chapter 5 in this passage. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What does hungering and thirsting for righteousness look like? It looks like the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it looks like my satisfaction is in Jesus and him alone, and this is how it's playing out in my life. But um, when it comes to having your, the shirt suit off your back, whether you deserved it or not, Jesus said, give him your cloak. I, I think the Apostle Paul is helpful on this point. So remember, Romans was written during a time it was not so easy to be a Christian. Uh, I believe that when Paul wrote Romans was most likely during the reign of Emperor Nero. And you know about him. Like he blamed the, Rome, the fires in Rome on who? The Christians, right? And, uh, and then he would take Christians, put them on stakes, pour pitch over them, and light them on fire while they were alive. Not a good person. And, and this is what Paul says in light of the kind of evil that Christians can experience. Let's read this together, ready? Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? With good, right? With good. Does that mean that, that the Christians shouldn't protect you know, the vulnerable? 
No, we should protect the vulnerable. If you see somebody being, being you know, beat up or, or abused, you should intervene. You should step in. Uh, we live in a world where you can't just let evil run rampant. Um, but when it comes to your own person, the most important thing isn't your safety or your, your pride. The most important thing is, man, how can Jesus speak into this? How is he using me in the midst of this? You know, we, here's the reality, and we're very well aware of this. We are living in our country in a day and age where the church is increasingly becoming marginalized. Is it not? Like, so, you know, I spent, I spent two weeks, well, I, three weeks if you include uh, the, the Sunday where I talked about, you know, uh, domestic violence in the home. But I spent three weeks on, on, on marriage and, and uh, you know, what that looks like. And, you know, according to the Bible, between a male and a female in the covenant of marriage. I, you know, I've said that to people, and, you know, if, you know, if I said that, like, at a school board meeting or something, I would be labeled as being what? Hateful. You know, it's not going to be too long from now that if I say something like that, it's going to be illegal. And uh, I've said this before. So what should we do? Should we just muscle up and, you know, arm ourselves and fight for our rights? Uh, no, I think actually the church has been, the church has thrived on the margins. The church has thrived on the margins. Did you know that? It's when the church is the center of culture, it goes bad for the church. Like the church, I say Christians, they get comfortable. They think they all, that they're the center of you know, the laws and their rights and that kind of thing. No, every time the church has thrived, every time the gospel has spread like wildfire uh, within a nation or amongst people, it has been in places where it's been illegal to be a Christian, right? And so I think the Lord's moving us into that direction. He's allowing us to move in that direction. And what kind of people ought we to be? The kind of people that look like the Sermon on the Mount. That is the center. That's the center. And so, and, and so when somebody wrongs you, Paul says, don't look for some way to enact, enact vengeance on them. Let God handle that. In fact, listen, God could do a better job at dealing with, dealing with justice and enacting justice than you can. Like, so somebody kills somebody. Yeah, they should go to jail. I think, personally, they should get the death penalty if they intentionally murdered somebody. You think that's the worst thing that they're going to experience? No. <laughs> if they're not a Christian and they, and, and they experience you know, the death penalty, there's a worse, worse death that's coming. It's called eternal death. It's hell. Like, like God, is, God is 100% good. He is perfectly good. You don't have to... Uh, like, like he doesn't have to improve upon being good. I've said that before. We're the ones that have to get better at that. Uh, just look at our justice system. It's a mess. Why? Because we haven't figured it out when it comes to what, is good, what does being good look like and what is justice, how does justice play into that? Okay, none of that's in my sermon. All right, so, got on a little rant. Um, <laughs> but you get the point, right? So the third example Jesus gives here is that if anyone forces you to go one mile, what do you do? Go the second mile. Uh, you've heard that before, right? 
Go the extra mile. This is the context. So what's the big deal? So I asked, that's to walk another mile. Don't cry about it. Is that, is that what Jesus is saying here? No. Think about what's going on in the context of first century Palestine in Israel. Who are they occupied by? Rome. They're, being, they're occupied by an enemy who has basically seized land that really belonged to the, to the Hebrew people. And now you got a soldier or some, kind, or, or some uh, government official who has every legal right to demand that you carry their burden to make their job of occupying your nation easier? What's the impulse when it comes to something like that? Yeah, I'll show them burden. <laughs> I'll give them a burden. Uh, no. Jesus says, go, not only walk that mile, and that was by law. They had to walk. It didn't matter what you were doing. You could be at a family reunion. You could be on vacation. You could be in the middle of your own wedding. And if a Roman soldier or an official said, you need to carry my burden, my backpack, or whatever he had for one mile, there was no debate, no arguing. You had to carry it. And Jesus says here, don't stop at the, at the end of the mile. Go the extra mile. Why would he say that? Again, I, I, think, uh, I think the Apostle Paul is helpful here. In uh, Colossians chapter 3, let's, uh, let's read these words together. Ready? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Don't look at it as a, just serving this this person who's making you carry your burden, look at it as serving the Lord. The point is, man, if you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and you know that the only righteousness that is satisfying is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, then everything you do, you're going to want Jesus to shine through it. And so this, you know, finds its branches or its roots all through our lives, right? The place where you work, like, what does that look like? If you work for a company and you're, you, know, you, you have a boss who just who speaks down to you, or you were promised a raise that you, that you haven't gotten yet, what should be your response? Show up, coast, get your paycheck, go home? No. At the end of the day, you're not working for that guy. You're, you're living your life in a way to please the Lord Jesus Christ. So work harder. Shine for Jesus in, in, in what you do you know, in, in the workplace. You know, um, I was a custodian. Not, not that I always got this right, but I was a custodian at a church. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I did that while I was in Bible college. And that Colossians passage hit me. Kind of hit me in the, in the heart. Like, I, I, whatever I do, do it with all of my might for the glory of God. So it was my goal to make sure all those windows, we, we had, so we had the auditorium and then out like, so we have our cafe area, right? So just imagine the whole wall, all windows. And so, and you got kids and stuff, you know, and smudges. And, like, I, I wanted to make sure those windows were like so clean that you walked into them, right? So that was my, that was my goal. The bathrooms, I wanted to make sure they were, they were just 
always clean. Why? Because I was getting paid a lot of money? No, I made like $11,000 a year. I mean, it was, it was a struggle. But um, because I wanted, I wanted Jesus to, to just be honored in all that I do. And, and I, don't, I don't think I've gotten that right all the time. Uh, sometimes it's been more difficult to do that than, than other times. But man, what we do matters. And people see what you do. And not just where you work, but in your neighborhood. Like, I mean, it's just very practical. If you're walking to the store and somebody's got their big gulp, empty container in the middle of the sidewalk, pick it up and throw it away. Like, that's how practical it gets. Why? Because we're called to a different life. We're called to a better way. We're called to a radical way. And, and that when people see, they, see us, not only should they see the gospel lived out in our lives, but everything about us should ooze the gospel. That we are the recipients of of the, not only the greatest news in the universe, but we received the mercy we did not deserve and a grace that we did not deserve. We are sons and daughters of the God of all creation that spoke the galaxies into existence. And, and what we should have been and what we should have remained is children of wrath and, and uh, you know, we should have received his wrath and we didn't. And so it should shape our lives in, in everything that we do. Oswald Chambers said this. He said, you, you, in light of this verse, you will go the second mile, not for their sakes, but for Jesus' sake. We would have a sorry prospect if God had not gone the second mile with us. Think about that. And Simon of Serene, the guy who carried Jesus' cross, you know why he carried Jesus' cross? Most likely not because he loved Jesus and wanted to at, the, at, at that point. Maybe, maybe he became a Christian after that. He carried the cross because he was mandated to carry it. He had to obey that Roman law to, take, to go one mile with a burden. Just think about that for a second. He was forced to go one mile to, to the place of Jesus' execution where Jesus would bear the burden of all of our sins. Every last drop of God's wrath that our sins deserved, Jesus drank and endured on that cross. And then the fourth example is to the one who begs. Now, I'm not sure if, the, if Jesus is referring to somebody who, who's being mistreated here or somebody who's, who's evil. I mean, maybe they are. I, mean, I don't know. But what I do know is that he says, to the one who begs of you, the one who asks you know, from you, give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who, who would borrow from you. Now, does that mean that every time we walk by a panhandler, we should just find what's in our wallet and give it to them? I don't think so. I think that you need to exercise wisdom, and I, and I see other places for that in the Bible. But here's what I do think that Jesus is saying. If you are a person who has received the gift of salvation through our God, through Jesus Christ, we should be the most generous people on planet Earth. That's what I see. I see, like, if... if if we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness and our, and our hunger and thirst of righteousness is satisfied in Jesus Christ, I think what you will, what you will know or, and believe to the core of your being is that all that you own belongs to the God of all creation. 
he owns the cattle on a thousand hills plus your home, your car, your bank account, your job, and, and the clothes on your back, right? And, um, and, if, and if you truly, you know, are one who arrived at the cross poor in spirit, one who arrived at the cross mourning over your sin, arrived at the cross willing to submit your will to the will of God the Father, it's going to free you up to be more generous. Why? Because you recognize that uh, all your stuff is going to wind up in a landfill someday. <laughs> and that when you breathe your final breath, I did a, I did a funeral just this past um, Friday, that all your stuff is going to go somewhere else and it's not going to the grave with you and it's not going to some afterlife. It's probably going to go to some yard sale or um, goodwill. <laughs> Some of the stuff may be given to other members of the family, but eventually they'll die too. <laughs> and all your stuff will wind up in a landfill someday. And what matters is how we live our life now. Do we live our life in light of eternity and invest in eternity? Or do we, like the rest of the world, think this is all we got? Those 70, 80 years is all we got. And we're just going to invest in those 70 to 80 years until the day we die, which is the dumbest thing anybody could possibly do. If, if God is real, and then if, if there is an afterlife that lasts for all of eternity, right? So I think that's the point Jesus is saying. And I, I mentioned this in the e-letter that I sent out, and, and uh, if you don't get the e-letter, you can sign up for it uh, by just filling out the, the form, you'll, you'll get it. But I, I, I pointed this out in my e-letter that just to think about, if you're a Christian in this room, think about who you were before you became a Christian. According to the Bible, you were spiritually dead. You were a follower of the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil, by the way. You were a child of wrath. You were an enemy of God. You were unrighteous. You were blind to the things of God. And that's not all of the adjectives that are used of, of those who do, who, who do not know Jesus. That's who you were. But who are you as a result of coming to the cross of Jesus with empty hands, one who is mourning over your sin, one who is willing to just submit yourself to the will of, of this great God who loves you? What was the result of that? Life. Life was the result of that. And because you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who are you today? You are alive in Christ. You're not dead anymore spiritually. You are alive. You are a follower or a disciple of Jesus Christ. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. And as a child of God, you are a friend of God. As a friend of God, God sees you as completely and wholly righteous positionally. When he sees you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter how many times you read your Bible during the week or how many times you pray. Obviously, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're going to want to read your Bible, you're going to want to pray. But there is no such thing as good Christian versus bad Christian. You are a Christian. And if you are a true Christian that has placed your faith and trust in Jesus, when God sees you, he sees the perfect righteousness of his Son, period. That's why there is no condemnation, the Bible promises, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when he sees you, he sees all those things, and now you see in a way that you've not seen before. And uh, 
And so when I read these verses, he's not calling us to radical pacifism. And I know my father-in-law didn't believe that either. He knows Jesus was calling us to a radical life. What does that look like? How should it affect us? And as you follow Jesus, what you'll discover is that his dignity becomes your dignity. His security becomes your security. His liberty becomes your liberty. His charity becomes your charity. There's one final passage I want to share with you, and it's in 1 Peter. This is, like, if you ask yourself, hey, did Jesus live this out? Yes, he lived it out. Peter denied Jesus three times. He witnessed Jesus flogged, abused, backslapped, spit upon, called all kinds of horrible things, and then crucified. And he wrote this epistle, called 1 Peter, uh, to a group of Christians who were suffering. And it's something I think is becoming more relevant to us in our day and age than ever before in terms of our experience. Let's read this together. Ready? When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Amen? Like this is this is what we're called to. This is a, this is why I, this whole series in the Sermon on the Mount has been so good for my soul. It just reminded me of, man, this is this is what it looks like. I was talking to my wife about this last night. I said one of the things that this that this whole this time that I've had in the Sermon on the Mount has done, shown me is, and it scares me. Man, there is a big difference between. The Christian that is described in the Sermon on the Mount and a lot of what we see today. And, um, and I, I think that's the point. If you're not a Christian, I would just encourage you. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you come to the... If you come to Jesus and understanding there's no righteousness that you bring to the cross. If you come to Jesus and understanding, man, my sin, I, I deserve hell because of my sin, but there is grace available, available to me at the cross and mercy as well. To, to come to the cross and just realize, I mean, his way is better than my way. And just lay down your pride at the cross. That's what it looks like to believe in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for our time together in your word. And I just ask, that God, that whatever it is that each person in this room is dealing with and wrestling with, and whatever it is that they need to hear you know, through the Sermon on the Mount, God, I ask that you would just make it very clear to them and uh, that you would have your way with us. God, this city needs, needs your church. You've sent your church into this city, into this state, into this nation to be your light in a dark place to be salt in a place that is rotting. God, we want to be that kind of people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.